You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. He is just an obsessive goal scorer. But they have to understand I chose to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And... Oh, Nigel Real Cooker, you crack me up. Welcome to House of Champions. Use your friends dropping your comments and questions in that chat and make sure you hammer and smash the like and subscribe buttons as we finally welcome back the Champions League to House of Champions. Oh yes, the round of 16 got underway and we can't wait to review today's action in the house today. Nigel Real Coker, Michael Hood. Boys, how you doing, Mike? Good, good. Just want to give a quick shout out to my younger brother. This is birthday week. Happy birthday, Derek. Can't wait to celebrate with you in real time. Golf club, golf club, golf club, Derek. Happy birthday to you, mate. Nigel, how you doing, mate? I'm good, mate. Always a pleasure to be on with you guys. Doesn't even feel yeah. like work. It's just a yeah. great footballing chat with great minds and difference of opinion, but we make a good point. Yeah, just like you in the locker room and out there on the pitch. It didn't really feel like work, Nigel, did it? Didn't really feel like work. Later on in the show, we'll have James Bench joining us from uh, London, of course, with the big game taking place today between Arsenal and Manchester City. Uh, but while we got the boys here in the House of Champions, let's talk about the Champions. The Champions League is back. We're on day two, obviously, of welcoming it back. And today was an absolute banger of a match between Borussia Dortmund and Chelsea. Uh, real quickly, boys, let's get into it. Uh, Nigel, I'm going to come to you first here. Very important result it was to get that first leg for Borussia Dortmund in front of their own supporters. But at the end of the day, we have to say Chelsea had the chances, man. Chelsea had the chances, but Michael was, oh, yeah, he sees, uh, you know, Chelsea getting a win and <laughs> Chelsea doing so well. I didn't, I I didn't say you. that. Chelsea, yes, he did. Anyway, I didn't say that. Oh, come on now. for me, Borussia Dortmund were there for the taking. Out of a squad of, I don't know, 30-something or 40 players, there is no recognised number nine at Chelsea. Not one. How do you expect to compete, win titles and win the Champions League without having a recognised number nine? Let's be real. This isn't a team that was built by Pep Guardiola playing that fake number nine and every player can actually contribute in their attacking sense with their movement, their football intelligence and intricate play. That's not Chelsea. It's crazy to me. Jao Felix, I thought, had another great game, but again, can't find the back of the net. Borussia Dortmund were there for the taking defensively. But I give credit to Borussia Dortmund because from midfield to that final third, they were dangerous. Again, they were just lacking that final pass, that little bit of quality and composure in that final end. But the football that they played was absolutely breathtaking. Breathtaking to watch. And you, I feel that Borussia Dortmund are a couple of pieces away 
from being a real top team if they can keep some of their players. That's how We're close they are. Nigel, let's not a be couple of pieces. Yeah, yeah, let's not be silly. They're, they're, not, they're, they're a couple of pieces away pieces more so than Chelsea. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on, wait. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to. Okay, the reason why you guys say that is because, again, what you guys are doing, and I'm disappointing you, Ian, you're taking the league form into account. League form doesn't count. League form for me doesn't count when it comes to the Champions League. But I thought personally, Borussia Dortmund deserved the win. They were a better team than Chelsea, really and truly, for the amount of talent that Chelsea have assembled. That's not good enough. That is not yeah. good enough for the money that they've spent and the players that they've got. The key battle. Jude Bellingham versus Enzo Fernandez. Who won that battle today? Jude Bellingham was absolutely sensational, in my opinion. And I don't even think he played at the highest level of what he's capable of. And for no. me, you're paying 120 million for a player who absolutely got burnt for the goal that you conceded. You're going to have to have some questions there. Look at Ian with a little smile. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know where to begin with this one, Nigel. I could see what you're saying about is Dortmund in form. This is their seventh win in a row. That's a good thing. That's a very good thing for a Borussia Dortmund side that has been Jekyll and Hyde throughout this entire season. A Borussia Dortmund team that gambled big time playing Salih Oshchen at attacking midfield and left Marco Royce on the bench. The same Marco Royce who scored in the Pokal left Gio Reyna, who has scored goals on the bench. That is a big gamble. I think they did that to match the industry of Chelsea in midfield. The difference in this game is the chances that were taken, the chance that was taken, I should say, and the Chelsea chances that weren't. João Felix, that would have been the difference. Chelsea grew into the game. In the first 15, 20 minutes, it was one-sided, all Borussia Dortmund. I think that's when you turn off, off the TV, Nigel, because the rest of the game, I don't know what you were watching because I saw a Chelsea team that, that, that just slowly grabbed the game by the scruff of their neck. Yes, Borussia Dortmund did have a couple chances here and there, but Chelsea FC should have had a goal. João Felix had three or four chances in the box that you would you would just typically see him put away. If he puts one of those chances away, I think Chelsea walk out of there minimum a draw. Dortmund fortunate. But the goal they scored, though, you have to give them credit. And, and I know you want to blame Enzo Fernandez for that. But I want to go back and golf clap. Uh, golf clap? We're going to golf clap out of Amy? Oh, well, he left. After, after, after he gets back, we'll sort out his internet. I, we're going to golf clap out of Amy once Ian gets back. But no, we don't. We play, can carry on, Michael. We can Ian carry on. But on, on that well, play, Nigel. It's in the details. You've been in part of set pieces. I've been in part of set pieces. On your corner kick, they tell you nothing gets past you when you're at the top of the box. Hakeem Ziyech and Mikhail Mudrik, they fell asleep. Hakeem Ziyech rushes in, gets beat. Mudrik should have been there to cover. You can't leave a player like Michael, Enzo Fernandez, who's the last Michael, player back, 1v1 with Adeyemi. Okay, but Michael, you're asking an attacking midfield player who's been renowned for his attacking flair to be defensively minded in a dangerous set piece situation. That's not his problem. It's down to Chelsea management and coaching to know who your best defensive players are and put them in a position to be able to be ready defensively to cover if anything happens. You cannot blame Mudrik for that. Mudrik is an attacking flair player. He is not defensively minded. He's not defensively strong enough to be able to handle those kind of situations. It's just like myself. When I played, I was the last man because the managers that I played for and coaches knew I was quick, I was strong, and I was intelligent enough to not get beat, not dive in and be able to hold players up. Chelsea managers and coaches have made that decision. It's down for them to put the right player in the right position. You can't blame the Chelsea players there. Mudrik, for me, should have never been put in that position to be near the second but to last man. 
Doesn't I don't agree with that, but you can, but you can, because tactically on set pieces, you never leave the last guy behind. You never leave him to go 1v1, especially with a player with the pace and the individual brilliance, a player who's in form like Adeyemi. That goal could be one of the goals of the tournament. I mean, the first touch was class. Everything else he did to draw Kepa out, round him and have the composure to slot in the open goal. That is world-class stuff, but you never, never leave a teammate isolated 1v1, especially right. someone like Kepa. No, 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 no. You've had enough time to talk here. Let me jump in for a quick second because we have to let people know <laughs> who actually scored the goal here and why you're actually debating this here. Karina Avid Ariemi scored 63 minutes into the game. It was a corner kick to Chelsea, who obviously were pushing for that goal there. It absolutely burned Enzo Fernandez. There's no doubt about it. This was one of the goals of the tournament so far. It actually reminded you both will know this there. It's like a training ground routine. Those 1v1s, those 2v2s mm -hmm. that you do in training right here. I mean, he just got burned by pace. And of course, Ariemi looked incredibly fast right there. Um, and a lot of people there are jumping on the back of uh, Enzo Fernandez, but I don't think there's much you can do. Any defender could have done to have prevented that one there, Mike. I don't I agree with that. And I think no, when you have an opportunity with a 2v1 situation, you, they're risking it, Chelsea. They're trying to win the game. If you look at the statistics, producer Des, if you have an opportunity to throw the stats back up there, and I'm just going to jump on the back of what you've both been arguing here. Look at the statistics here. Mm. Chelsea had 21 shots in this game. And mm. realistically, it plays to both of you here, okay? Because Chelsea, 21 shots, eight on target. Clearly, you can tell there's no striker, as Nigel pointed out right there. And <laughs> I will say this to your point, Mike, as well. Um, you were saying here, they're very suspect defensively, Borussia Dortmund. They have, of course, ran their luck today with the performance that they put out there defensively. They did give Chelsea a ton of opportunities. They left themselves vulnerable. Jao Felix should have scored a couple of goals in this game. Mudrik should have came on the pitch at some point in this game because he certainly wasn't performing very well for Chelsea today. So a lot of Chelsea fans can be unhappy with that performance today because they had their chance to win this game and they let it slip. Congrats mm -hmm. to Borussia Dortmund. Who wants to take the mic? I do, because I oh want to boy, make a point. Michael's saying about you don't feel you should be left one-on-one. -on -one. I'm sorry, this is the difference between Michael and I. If you're going to be a professional football player, if you're playing at that highest level and you can't handle one-on-one -on -one situations, you should not be a professional football player. Because regardless how fast a player is... Bollocks, Nigel. Use football yeah. intelligence. No, I disagree to that. I'm sorry. No, you you I, would never, in your prime day, you would never be able to keep up with him. The company would never be able to keep up with him. Alfonso Davies would never be able to keep up with him. No chance. In my oh, prime day, many times I was left last man. Yes, we played against Arsenal. We had the likes of Thierry on. We, I came across so many fast players. There's an element in defending where if you can I see agree. a breakout, that's the difference. So if we're going to make excuses, we can make excuses. But if you talk about the top defensively minded players, Angolo Conte, um, Makaleli weren't the fastest, but they could read the game. The top players in that kind of defensive mindset, if you can see a break happening no and you already know how fast he is, get to the ball before it bounces. Ian knows about it. But he, Managers but he and coaches back in our day used to tell us, get there before it bounces. If you let the ball bounce, you're in trouble. The players on a defensive end, if you're not playing against a fast player and you know he's about to get a ball and turn, get tight. No. It's football but, intelligence. If you guys want to have... 2v1 situations at the highest level, 
It's down to you. one v one. I I don't agree with you there because you look at the starting point. You're talking as if Enzo Fernandez was two yards away from Kareem Adeyemi. He was five, ten yards away. If you go rushing in, try to clatter him, he's going to even have more space. When you have a pacey player and you go rushing in, I mean, good riddance. You shouldn't play in the Premier League. You shouldn't play I in any league. That. You should be in my men's league team that is I, kicking I ass and taking names football right football now. Actually, I played with so many players who ain't that quick, but their football intelligence and reading the game and seeing what it is—that's it. You're paid to be a footballer. I, I do. I do agree with. Both of you, yeah. I do agree Good with both. You both make listen. You both make very, very good points here, but we must not forget the pace that they were breaking at here, Nigel. It's very difficult running backwards trying to defend a player who's running and sprinting. That's the fastest player in the Bundesliga right there that's running at you, faster I mean, than Alfonso Davies. I mean, I'm this not is a guy. That, but again, again, position, listen, positional listen, play, listen. positional play, Nigel. Listen. Positional play. I get it, and I'm hearing you. You've got the experience of being in that position. You obviously have the experience to pull and manipulating players around you. My point being is they left themselves vulnerable at the back there, Chelsea, because they were pushing for a goal. They sensed that there was an opportunity for a goal, so they thought, ah, we'll leave Enzo back there, and and probably forgot the fact that Adiemi was a whippet. And I mean, that was just a fantastic goal at the end of the day. I, I listen. I think both of you can. You make great points, and I think our viewers obviously are understanding it as well, um, and certainly jumping in the comments as well. Amy agrees with Mike there. Liam jumping in and saying they let Borussia Dortmund uh, look very good in that game, which is a great point. If Chelsea uh, got was a great match, to be fair, it was very entertaining. Yeah. And then Vic jumping in and saying we made a mistake in appointing Potter, and he's such an unlucky man. Todd Bowley needs to stop this madness now. Cut your losses and move on. Miguel jumping in and saying Bowley is a new rich who has zero strategy for Chelsea. He just throws money at the problem and thinks that it will work. Uh, Mitchell jumping in and saying, this match wasn't up to Potter. This was up to the players, which is a great point right there. Mm. I think everyone is talking sense here. I don't think any of us are wrong here at the end of the day. Nigel thinks we're all wrong, but I just don't think that we're wrong here, right? <laughs> I don't think you're wrong. I just have my opinion and my standards yeah. I would have for my players. That's it. I, I just personally yeah. believe at that level and at the club that you're at, you should be able yeah. to handle one-on-one -on -one situations. That's what's expected. I totally agree with you. I totally agree. And how many times did we used to do that back in the day? Like you talk about old school coaches. How many times was that? Ah, oh, today we're going to do 1v1s and 2v2s. <laughs> yeah, we used to do that it. And, and you learn, you know not to get beat. That's the reality. Especially if you know someone's quick. You've been playing in the game for 70 minutes plus. You know he's quick. Take a yellow card. Take a team foul. As soon yeah, as you get foul. the body halfway check, line. Yeah. body check him halfway line. That's just yeah. the reality of the game. That's what football intelligence is. You've got to catch from. him first. So, yeah. Mm, mm. Two footed. Maybe. Two options. Michael, real quickly before we yeah. move on, Michael, uh, one nil not a bad result for Chelsea at the end of the day because they go no. back to Chelsea now and they think, okay, one nil, fine. We've we've got a result uh, away from home. We didn't concede too many goals here. We know that Dortmund will give us chances, so they'll suspect that they have an opportunity in that second leg. Yeah, I, I, I'd be very confident if I'm a Chelsea fan or a Chelsea player, given how many shots, how many shots on targets you got, how you grew into a game in a difficult place to play, and really that feeling, feelingness that you have of we should have gotten more out of this game, possibly a draw even. I think they'll be very confident. A player that will want to rectify it. He got a goal at the weekend. He he created tons of chances. Jarl Felix, look for him to be the decider. If he continues on this path and finishes a goal, he will be the one who decides this second leg. Hey, listen, just uh, before we do wrap up this game here, did you guys see the TIFO before the game from Borussia mm, Dortmund fans? That was class. Yeah. Was that something special oh. or what? I mean, Borussia Dortmund fans are just so unique. The way that they um, actually, you know, set the game up, set the stage up for anyone. Can you imagine walking out onto that pitch right there? I mean, look at this Tifo. Absolutely wow. incredible. I mean, it's just brilliant. 
Und jedes Mal war es wert, an deiner Seite zu stehen. I mean, every time it was always worth standing by your side and the journey will, uh, for you is always going to go on, which is just, I mean, wow. this is what Borussia Dortmund's SS is, is a football club. Um, but at the end of the day, I still say this, Nigel Rio Coker, they were pretty lucky to get out of there with that victory, even though I will say this, there should be more goals than the one goal that we got here. Nigel, wrap it up before we get out of here. What do you want me to say, mate? I thought it was, I, I, I was very impressed with the football that Borussia Dortmund played. I'm not surprised at Chelsea's performance. I've seen it in the Premier League. They're still finding their feet. And again, I don't want to keep picking on Graham Potter. Let's give it what it is. Any manager in Graham Potter's situation will find that very difficult. I don't care what anyone says. And the reason why I say that is because we all know what footballers can be like and what egos can be like in dressing room, especially at that level. I don't care what manager you have in there. It will be a difficult situation to get these players to come together in such a short space of time and make them perform. But it's what I expect from Chelsea. All right, just a quick stat before we get out of here. Karina Adiemi has scored in each of his last three appearances in all competitions, scored more goals than in his first 20 competitive games for Borussia Dortmund combined since he actually moved to the club. So congratulations to Karim Adiemi. Fantastic performance from him. And um, I guess we're going to go to a quick break right now, Producer Des. You can add me real quickly if we go to break. Yeah, let's take a quick break, Producer Des says. All right, quick break from the boys. More to come from us when we come back here. We'll have James Bench live from London. Uh, House of Champions will be right back. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. But don't miss a second of the action from the greatest club competition on earth, the Champions League. Follow the biggest stars from the world of soccer like Lionel Messi, Karim Benzema, Victor Osserman and Erling Haaland as they try to clinch the most prestigious prize in the game. Stream every match from the Champions League live only on Paramount+. Plus. Try one month for free with the promo code ADVANCE. Welcome back to the House of Champions, everybody. We welcome in James Bench to the show. little golf clap for James Bench. It's been a little bit of a night for him tonight. He is right good there. Good night. Emirates. It's been a good night. <laughs> Cracking game. Let's turn our attention to the Premier League before we finish off with the Champions League. James, uh, just overall, Arsenal against Manchester City. What was the stage like before? The atmosphere, obviously, building up to the game. You being around the media. What was the question marks about the penalty kick that was mm. given that Saka, Julie, obliged to slot away into the corner? And then after the game, what was the atmosphere like from the fans and also the media? Yeah, I mean, if we start with the the atmosphere, maybe, I think the penalty is not that much of a talking point, I guess, because of the result. 
I think the strange thing is this has really quelled a lot of the the buzz and the energy that was around Arsenal. And obviously, before kickoff, as you can imagine, and you'm sure you could hear if you were watching it on TV, this stadium was was rocking. It was one of the best atmospheres I can remember in in recent years. You know, it had the feel of those big Champions League nights that Arsenal so miss as a club. And I think the challenge is the nature of the result has taken a lot of air out of that. Of course, it's the third game in a row that they've not won. They're Arsenal now off top spot in the Premier League. And look, this wasn't the same as the, the games where Arsenal would perennially get tonked 3-0 by Man City or 3-1 by Man City, and it would never really be a contest. This could have gone in the other direction. But equally, you know, City got through the gears. They addressed some of the problems in, their, in that starting lineup, especially Bernardo at left-back. And from there on, it's, you know, they had a level that Arsenal couldn't reach and Arsenal made these sloppy errors that we also associate with these games. So, um, I mean, I wouldn't say the title race is over, but it's a huge swing in City's favour. Although we have to say Pep Guardiola said he considers Arsenal to be top of the table because they have a game in hand. Uh, that game in hand is against Everton, so we'll see if they win that. James, just a quick one. Do you feel that this is the best uh, uh, Pep's twinkling worked out with the whole situation of Bernardo Silva playing in that Midfield role, then dropping into that left back role. Do you feel that's the best that we've seen this work out? Because we've seen him try it with Reese James. Do you feel that it really worked this game for tactics? I, mean, I, I have to say, I thought it was utterly disastrous for <laughs> an hour. Um, and and I, I, but I think the credit has to go for him addressing that, dealing with it, and you know, getting getting his team working. It was what's strange is that he had this blueprint from the FA Cup game where Nathan Ake did a great job one on one against Saka, and he followed that. Um, you know, by playing a diminutive attacking midfielder who can't tackle. You know, he's like the... I've just written my piece. Bernardo Silva is like the embodiment of that line Guardiola said, what is tackles? You know, the, the guy couldn't defend Bukayo Saka. And I think if they'd carried that on for more than an hour, it, it would may well have cost them the game. And then and Silva was so good, so effective in that position. He, he's made his own that right wing spot. So I think if you're wondering about you're looking for these things that might stop City going on the run we, we we assume is coming. It's the fact that like at left back, he doesn't seem to have found an answer that he likes. And, you know, if Bernardo Silva's there, people will see what Saka did and, and the next team and the next team will try that and they might not be as effective. But yeah, there's one huge problem in this City team, which is who plays at left back. Yeah, one, one move that caught my eye in the 11th for Arsenal was Ben White. He started every Premier League game up until tonight, and then he decides, Mikel Arteta decides to put in Tommy Yasu. What did you make of that move, and how did it impact this game? Yeah, so, I mean, Arteta addressed this in the presser as well, and, you know, obviously everyone sees it through the prism of that horrible error. As, as Arteta said, he's not made seen Tommy Yasu make this pass in seven years. You know, it was a really bad pass and a brilliant finish by De Bruyne. You, you almost, the pass almost spoils how superb the goal was. There's only one way De Bruyne could score that, and he did. Um, like, and that kind of is the, the story of Arsenal's game. Arteta also said he the reason that Tomiassi was in the team was sort of the same reason he'd started at left-back against Liverpool, which was he's so two-footed, he can defend players going on his outside and his inside. And like he had good moments. I think Jack Grealish, we probably need to start look talking about Jack Grealish as one of the form players in the Premier League. Wonderful goal as well. But you know, one one phase he'd be attacking Tommy Asu on his left, one on his right. Um, and to an extent, like City forced those mistakes with good pressure, moving their defensive lines and everything up the pitch. Um, but you know, Arteta said he said there were moments when we had them, we had them, but then we made these sloppy, sloppy errors. And Tommy Asu is not a player I expect that from. Zinchenko, the same. Um, but they, 
they cost Arsenal a game they could have won in different circumstances. So, uh, yeah, let's not write the title race off yet. But oh, if that's what changes the course of the season, they will be kicking themselves because it's it's not like they were outplayed. They just messed up. Yeah, great point, James, as well. Um, let's touch upon the fact what you just mentioned, there's some good performances from Manchester City players. Uh, we saw Jack Grealish, obviously. You mentioned I want you to get stuck into him in a moment. I've got a great start for you. But also Kevin De Bruyne. Maybe you can finish on him and his individual performance, getting a goal and an assist. But let's start with Jack Grealish. One goal and no assist in eight appearances in the Premier League this season when he headed to the World Cup. He has two goals and three assists in the nine matches since the World Cup. So statistically, it backs you up right there. He's one of the most informed players right now for Manchester City, certainly in the Premier League, full stop. Um, so what did you notice from his performance? And then maybe finish off as telling us a little bit about how Kevin De Bruyne looked off the ball. Yeah, I like that. A little bit of swagger from Creed. That I mean, I think for one thing, as he said before, he likes playing here. You know, he likes the pitch. He likes the atmosphere. I think the fans give him a bit of grief and he likes that. But there's a, a swagger and an authority. I, I felt like the price tag weighed on him in that first season, which wasn't as bad as people thought because, you know, the job he was doing was sort of sticking wide and Cancelo was coming into those infield spots. So, you know, when you're right on the touchline, you're not going to get loads of goals and maybe score... Uh, you know, get loads of goals and assists, are you? And I think now, you know, with that license to drive infield, he looks really, really good. <laughs> Rafa Cartenis, he looks like Almiron. He does. He looks better than Miguel Almiron, hard to believe. De Bruyne, I mean, you just, the, the quality of, the quality of his technique. I mean, the goal obviously is the standout moment, but there were every free kick he touched, every cross he delivered, it was just banging the, the right spot. And I think, you know, that's what that's what separates them. It's that that's why, you know, Arsenal's mistakes were punished because it's players like De Bruyne, like Grealish, that only need you to make that mistake once. You know, if you make that mistake against Aston Villa on Saturday, you might get away with it. Aaron Ramsdale might bail you out, Gabriel might, but if you make it against Man City, you are dead. And that was really obvious because I think they made a few critical mistakes and it cost them. James, don't call out Villa like that again. <laughs> anyway, um, quick one. Do you think that now you're starting to see how important Gabriel Jesus is? Because obviously Nicarta's mm. done well since he's come in, the young lad, but he had some good chances there that you feel that if Gabriel Jesus was fit oh. and playing, that he oh, would take those chances. Yeah. Now, yeah he's, not a, he's not a good finisher either. I think, I think you know, between mm. them, I was saying, it's about 15 expected goals for Arsenal's two strikers, nine actual goals. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, you are right, Nigel. They are massively missing Jesus. And it's become apparent in the last few games because, you know, he would drift over to the left and build up with Martinelli and, and get these great crosses, you know, create as well as as get shots up. Um, and then Ketia, he's a good young player, works really hard for the team and has put so much effort into developing that side of his game. But you, you guys will all know, you have your strengths and you have your weaknesses and you can make your weaknesses less apparent but there's a limit, isn't there? He will never be a Gabriel Jesus who is so technically confident, so at ease moving around. And uh, yeah, it was really frustrating because Ketia had two good headed chances. It didn't test the keeper once, let alone hit the target, uh, let alone uh, yeah, you know, score. And it's yeah, it was a it, it, they they need him back ultra fast. I, they won't see him till March. So some tough games to get through between now and then without him. Uh, right before. Right before. 
all alerted to the news and you more than anyone being there at the Emirates of Thomas Partey not being in this game. That was a massive, massive miss for Arsenal today. What do you make of his importance to this team and how do they move forward given that he might be out for the next couple of games? Yeah, so I'm, I, what I was told is he's certainly, it was probably out for the Villa game. Um, I think it, the one thing you have to say is Jorginho had a good game. There are those moments that show you the problems with Jorginho that he is too slow but has this tendency if he loses the ball he'll try and win it back and that can sometimes heighten the problem because he's way upfield and, and City are bearing down on goal but yeah I mean the, the party is sort of Jorginho with a bit of speed a bit of movement and it's a huge loss we see this every time he gets injured and the worry is you know long for the remainder of this season is he gets injured a lot that's got to be the real concern and I think come the summer they need to find the the, the the party that plays 38 games a season. Uh, his name's Declan Rice, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> hey, James, before we let you go, I just want to ask you an unusual question uh, because I'm a little bit strange like that. Um, it is an unusual year for, for football in general. And uh, we've gone through a World Cup mid-season. And uh, today, probably the biggest game on earth was in the Premier League. But yeah, the Champions League was still going on. So what was it like for you and the media and the fans in there noticing that there was games going on in the Champions League around? It's, I mean, was, was it strange? Well, it's strange for me because I feel like I'm like betraying the company. I mean, thank God it was like <laughs> a bruise against Benfica, which all due respect to those two teams. It's not, you know, we're not getting the, the they're not, we're not giving them the big sell on, on the production side, are we? It's, oh, I think it's, it, it's very strange because, yeah, like you say, it reminds you of all the weirdness. Like this game was postponed because UEFA asked Arsenal to, to, to get and Man City to get their Euro, European group stage games done because the Queen died. It's yep. it's really weird. But I mean, equally, it's the, felt like the biggest show in town, the biggest Premier League get. Like, it felt like the City-Liverpool games. I mean, obviously, I know that the fact that it was that there was Champions League as well maybe dulled the excitement and it sounds like I missed a really, I missed a really exciting Chelsea-Dortmund game. But it, it did have that sense of the biggest game in town. Everyone was here. You know, the Emirates press box is is normally full, but what they normally don't have to do is take two two rows of fan seats and turn them into overflow for the for the rest of the world's media. It was the place to be. Um, yeah. But obviously, you know, the place to be is Paramount Plus. I have to say, yes, no doubt about it. Golf clap for James Benj, everybody, Thank right? Uh, coming to Thank us you. live from the Emirates. We right, appreciate cheers, you. Thanks. Off you go, mate. Enjoy your night. Thank cheers. you so much, James. And have please, pie, everybody, mate. go out there. Follow James and uh, make sure you get to read his article tonight as well. You can log off, James. On you go, on you go. Uh, but make sure you go follow his article and follow him on social media as well. The articles drop off very quickly. Uh, so make sure you are checking them out. Let's put a ball on this game before we get out here and move back into the Champions League, guys. Um, Michael, come to you real first. Uh, just your overall opinion on the game. Erling Haaland gets his goal. 26 goals now in the Premier League from 22 appearances. Thanks to Des for putting up Benfica right there. But let's go back to the Arsenal game, City game, real quickly yes. before we do wrap it up. Uh, I mean, listen, it was a great game. It was a fun game to watch. Yeah. It just looked very good. Yeah, they, they were more decisive in the final third. I think the difference, Eddie Nketiah, the chances he had on a different day if he puts him away. If it was the Eddie Nketiah we saw against Manchester United, sadly, that cost United the points. But he needs to be more clinical in front of goal. I think Arsenal have lost their way a bit. Last three games haven't didn't close out the games before that you need to build momentum coming into this game against City. Simply put, the back line was atrocious tonight. In possession, I thought City did something that was against what City usually do. They dropped off the ball and allowed Arsenal to have the ball, which forced mistakes. And when they had them, glad we're giving Jack Grealish a shout because his two goals he scored, one against Manchester United and one against Arsenal. 
big game player after the World Cup this season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ian, is there any point in me adding anything? You know, Michael, the, the 2v1 coach, I think he covered it all. <laughs> he likes to leave 2v1. <laughs> I'll put a bow on it for you. Great game. Really great game. I'm just going to look at the other side of it now. It's going to be about Arsenal's reaction. And I, I, I would have to agree with Michael. There just hasn't been something quite right with Arsenal right now. So whether the pressure's really starting to get into these players now about leading the Premier League and obviously this final stretch, it's all about reaction. So I, I think mm-hmm. that it's going to be interesting to see how Arsenal really perform in the next three or four games to really learn where they're at. But great win by City, well coached by Pep. Um, and it was you could see just by how both teams approached this game, how much of a big game this was and what was at stake. Yeah, it was a massive game and a big shout out to my Best Buy guys for making sure that all my TVs were working so I could watch <laughs> 24 games at the same time right now. Uh, Pep Guardiola has faced Mikel Arteta six times in the Premier League since he left to become Arsenal manager. Mm. Um, 100% record right now for yeah. Pep Guardiola right Great now. Uh, so really incredible. Uh, congratulations to Manchester City fans out there. Don't worry, Arsenal, you're still in with a chance and apparently Pep Guardiola still thinks you're top of the league. So <laughs> you can move on with that one. Good luck as you move forward. Uh, let's get back to the Champions League, which we wrap up up with Club Brugge against Benfica, Mike. Um, yeah. It was a, a big victory for Benfica, 0-0 at halftime. And uh, ben, Club Brugge actually scored a goal in the 44th minute of this game. It was flagged off for offside, just a narrow fraction of offside. João Mario, as we've talked about so many times, getting on the score sheet, his 17th goal of the season for him. Fifth Oof. in the Champions League. Four goals in his last four Champions League games for him. João Mario loves a penalty kick, no doubt about it, but he loves the back of the net as well. David Neres wrapped things up 89 minutes into the game. It was a mistake at the back that was Punished. 50 million from Shakhtar Donetsk, four assists through the Champions League qualifiers, mm. nine goals, all competitions for him, 11 assists. He's been a class addition for them. But at the end of the day, Benfica just far too strong for Scott Parker's side. Yeah, I think a big difference with Scott Parker and his team is they switched from there. It, it, it was a back three that they were playing, very defensive mindset, and then they'd hit on the counter. They looked more expansive. They looked really nervous throughout this game. A lot of Benfica's chances came off of pressing in the first half, and they didn't have the finishing touch. But if you leave it late, and if you leave it to Zhao Mario's feet, I, I want to say something about it. It's to me, Zhao Mario. That's what I think of when I go. He is that difference maker for them, especially with a team that lost one of their better players in Enzo Fernandez in the January transfer window. Statement win for them, and I think this tie is all but over. Nigel, do you agree? 100%. I agree with Mike. The tie is over. I think we, we said it already. I think Benfica, for me, are a great team to watch. I like how they approach football, Ian. You know, the, the style that they play. They can go play intricate passing. They can be very good on the ball. They're great on the counter-attack. But what I like about them is well, they're not scared to go from back to front because they have the players and the capability to do all that style of football. And again, the youth of Club Rouge was exposed today and you look at late on in the game one nil you still got an opportunity but when you make a mistake like that at the back line getting the ball stuck under your feet and you can see the second goal to a good side like Benfica and you have to go there for a second leg you're asking for a lot it's, it's going to be a lot for these young lads um it, you'd have to say Benfica have shot up shop and they really are a good side to watch people need to watch Benfica a lot more real great football Another start on Jao Mario. As I mentioned before, he's already scored five goals in the Champions League. He is, uh, what, the midfielder now with the most goals in uh, uh, Champions League. One more than Bellingham, one more than Kudus, one more than Rafa Silva. Um, there you go. He is having yeah. a fine campaign in the Champions League. Yes. You reckon uh, Enzo Fernandez wishes he was still at Benfica for now? No. <laughs> His bank account says no. 
I'm sure he's happy where he's at right now while he was yeah. trying to catch up with uh, Adiemi on that way back right there. Some great comments coming in here. Luigi saying, I was honestly expecting Club Brugge to be vandalized. They managed to keep it at a low score mm-hmm. match, which is a great point here. 2-0. Anything can happen, obviously, in these away games. But you're going to Benfica, which is a very difficult place to go play. Very. And this seems to be a great season for Benfica. Their fans out there are enjoying the football. I was a little bit concerned with, yet again, another departure from the club, how they would handle that. Um, but as we hear near from Air Gaming 15, nice entrance by David Neres from the bench right there Ooh, and yeah. also a fantastic goal from him he has been a great addition and let's not forget he they got him a, a cup prize because of what's happening in the Ukraine right now so very lucky to get a player like that Liam saying the result was to be expected uh, Gonzalo Ramos missed a ton of chances especially oh. that one comes in from E. Arbo especially in the first half Arbo uh, Benfica were all over Brugge in that first half and they just couldn't finish they hit the post they hit the crossbar um, they missed a ton of chances over the crossbar but five times in that first 45 minutes it was just really incredible to see uh, that type of performance uh, from a Benfica side and uh, that was pretty much it to wrap up that game anything more from the Champions League before we move ahead to what is coming up on Thursday no I'm I'm dying to talk about this game all right let's move on to the Europa League on Thursday Michael uh, (laughs) let's come to you first and foremost because it is Barcelona against Manchester United Um, of course there is um, a lot of talking points going into this game but Nigel, let me just ask you, as a Manchester United fan going into this game, do you feel like you have an opportunity? Who's a Manchester United fan? The, bet- <laughs> the betting odds absolutely are against Manchester United from getting anything in this game in Barcelona. It's a it's a tough test for them. It really is a tough test. But I, I think that Eric Ten Hag is a really good manager. And I think it's not going to be the same approach as he would have them playing in the Premier League. I feel that all the players on song together, if you look at the Leeds game recently and that goal from Rashford and the togetherness, the team celebration. These are small things that fans might not understand or see. When you're a team like Manchester United, you've been through what you've been through, the whole Ronaldo situation and, you know, the comments from the press about the manager and the players. When those players celebrate like that, be understanding that there is a great unity in that dressing room. So there is a great belief in togetherness. And that is something that can take this club a long way. So I think for me that it's going to be a very interesting encounter. It's two massive world football clubs who are in that reset phase and they're both going to go out to win this game. But I think they're both going to be very respectful of each other. And I think the biggest problem with Manchester United is we've kind of seen now and realised how important Christian Eriksen and Casemiro is to this Manchester United team. So that centre midfield for me is really the big problem right now still at Manchester United if you don't have those two playing. I don't feel the quality that they have to come into that spot is as good or as effective to be able to control a game at this high level as those two can. Spoken like a true Manchester United fan right now, Nigel. We appreciate those comments, right? Okay, I was just kidding. Let's get to Mike. I mean, obviously, I'm really coming to you because this is a massive game for United fans all around and nobody's expecting them to get anything from this game, which I'm quite surprised by. Yeah, I'm surprised by that as well. But I think it's given the form that Barcelona have been in, in La Liga, in in every competition outside of the Champions League. They were woeful in the Champions League. That's why they're in the Europa League. Not a knock against the Europa League standard, but Barcelona were not good enough to qualify to the knockout stages. Hence why we have this blockbuster matchup. I think, and I hate to say this, I think this is is Barcelona is expected to win, rightfully so, because the battle in midfield. The, the fact that Christian Eriksen is not there, if Eriksen is there, I would tip my hat and say, hey, this is a free-for-all. Manchester United is one of the better teams around the world. 
on the road this season, something we have not said. They are the one of the best Premier League teams on the road this season. And that experience is going to come down to the likes of Bruno Fernandez, David De Gea, players who have gone and played in difficult places. They will have to be incredible to go against Barca's midfield because Barca is getting goals. It's not just Lewandowski anymore leading the line and getting goals. It's the likes of Pedri. And yes, they're getting 1-0 wins here and there. But the Pedris, Boring. the Gabby. This is a Barcelona team that does not have Sergio Busquets and Usman Dembele, and they're still getting results. They're not at full strength. Boring, though, Mike. The boring. I'm just going to say it straight up. I'm they're sorry to all results, Barcelona though. fans out there, but there's absolutely. I get. I agree with you. The results are absolutely there. There's no doubt about it. Xavi's getting results, um, but the boring. We must not forget what happened to this Barcelona side when they played Bayern Munich at home. Let's not forget oh, about wait. that. When teams Ian. attack Barcelona, you can beat them. Go ahead, guys. I love you, Ian, because this is a Man United fan talking. He hasn't even praised his guy, Marcus Rashford, who's been on red hot form. He hasn't said nothing about Rashford and the danger that he could cause to this Barcelona backline. And you've just been all quiet. I know that is. I think I know what it is, Michael. I've come across so many of you commercial Man United fans with a lead start in the back. Oh, jeez. Oh, man. The floor's yours, Mike. The floor's yours. So, Nigel, I'm biting my tongue because of something we've seen. I've finally accepted it. It's the Drake curse, man. You're the curse. It's the curse. I knew that was coming. So <laughs> I got to keep it measured. I got to keep it measured. If you've noticed, every United preview, I've kept it measured. I've rooted against them. Good things have happened. The one game I opened my mouth was the Arsenal match. And look what happened. So I'm learning my so lesson. So what, what you're basically telling to all our bosses at CBS Sports is you're, <laughs> you like to lie on the show so that your team wins here. So Michael likes never, to put a wager on his team. Hold on a sec. <laughs> <laughs> the bosses who are watching, hold on a sec. <laughs> no, listen, no. producer Des has come up with a great uh, question here. Uh, obviously, with Manchester City's result against Arsenal, Mike, um, mm. there's a title race back on. And Manchester oh, yeah. United are not far away from this title race as well when it comes to the Premier League. But their focus, I would imagine, for Ten Hag would be to get a trophy full stop. Not necessarily to win domestically the Premier League, which I think is a far-fetched dream right now for United fans, even though they're still in it. Yeah. I think it's more realistic to say that they can get past Barcelona and win in Europe. I, I actually would argue that the Europa League is one of their least priorities, especially given oh. what can happen. You have two legs. Look, it's it's a difficult ask to go to Barcelona and get a result and to be competitive in this match, especially given what they still have. They have the EFL Cup. I think that is priority number one. To get that, they're in a final against Newcastle. Over Europa if League. They win, yes, I think so. Because as a manager, getting a trophy in your first season, that'll give a, a massive ounce of belief and confidence amongst the fan base, first and foremost, and especially in that locker room. He has that team playing the way he wants. We know that. We've seen that. It speaks volumes in the results he's gotten, the turnaround he's gotten, the fact he got rid of Ronaldo. But I think his big focus is going to get that one trophy. If it's the EFL Cup, then I think you'll be, see a big shift in the Europa League. Nigel's Michael, mind here. Michael. What? The Europa League is a realistic target for Manchester United. I don't know what kind of Manchester United Mate. fan that you are, that you're going to prioritize the EFL Cup <laughs> over Europe. And you talk about, we talk like, let's be real. We talk about Barcelona like this is the Barcelona of old. This isn't that Barcelona. No. Nope. Like, let's be real about it. It's not that Barcelona. They can be beat. We saw them really fall out of the Champions League where we all thought that they would qualify. It's not the same Barcelona. So let's give some respect to other teams and stuff like that. And also, Manchester United, whether they like it or not, whether you're going to admit or not, they're a dark horse in the Premier League title race. Yeah. Arsenal have to play Man City again. And Manchester mm -hmm. United look very stable in the Premier League and they're going to be happy being dark horses because people are not really mentioning it. So for Eric Ten Hag, he's happy with that because of the turnaround that he's made. 
Let's make no mm -hmm. mistake. They are dark horses in this Premier League title race because the next game between Man City and Arsenal, if Man City beat Arsenal again, the Premier League title race is on. Because Manchester oh. United, for me, are slowly and quietly going about their business. I would go as far as to say, as, as Nigel, as you said, they're, they're a dark horse for the Premier League. I'd go as far as to say is that Manchester United are one of the favourites to win the Europa League. The 100%. form that they're in, even though they're playing Barcelona, and I've looked at the odds um, as well, they're absolutely in favour of Barcelona getting a result in this first leg. Um, but I, I don't see it. The form that Manchester United are in right now, the way Ten Hag has got this team playing, they are a tough team to beat. And when you have a player who is in form, like a Marcus Rashford, you can pretty much guarantee that he's going to get an opportunity to win this game for United in some way. I mean, that's the form he's in. Killer players like him take those opportunities and you walk out of there with a 1-0 win would be a fabulous result for Manchester. Even a draw would be a good result for United at the end of the day. Go ahead, Nigel. But Ian, just to put a ball in it quickly, you know what it's like when players get on this type of run right now. They still talk about, obviously, what's Mark Rashford going to do? What's his future like? Is he going to stay at Manchester United? Do you not think as an individual he's going to want to make a statement at a new camp? A performance that people will remember. <laughs> <laughs> where he puts himself on the shopping window. Uh, wait, let me see what you guys are talking about. Uh, anyway, no, I've, 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 I've got to jump in here for one Come. second. All right. We're talking about Barcelona like they're not top of La Liga. Like, come on, guys. I know United are getting results. I am a United fan, but let's be realistic. This is a Barcelona that wiped the floor with Real Madrid. Very much in this past month and look like world beaters. Yes, have they, have they been playing their best football? They haven't had to play their best football. I think this is going to be a cracking tie. I still am not convinced that Europa League is one of the titles that is a priority for Eric Ten Hag. They get through this, then we could have a different conversation. But it's all about getting a trophy for me. And I think EFL Cup, as a realistic United fan, who we have not won trophies. See, see I've, this. Got, I've got to move on, Mike. Ian, I've got I'm to trying to on. work out, Ian. I'm trying to work Who's out if Mike is a real Man United fan or if he's a Newcastle fan or a Tottenham fan, like any trophy will do. <laughs> This is Manchester United. European He's an EFL Cup fan. Is what counts. I'm, like, how are you a Man United fan? I'm realistic. I'm realistic. I'm realistic. Over European trophy, you're Manchester I'm United. I'm realistic. Nah, mate, I'm, I've, got my, I've got my hopes up. I've got my hopes up tenfold. I'm All realistic. our listeners attack Michael. He's a Tottenham fan in disguise. For any <laughs> all right, let's let's move on real quickly. Uh, all of our listeners out there, please don't attack Michael. Just leave him alone. Uh, he is doing very well for us. Thank you very much, Nigel, for that one right there. But it's a great talking point. It's a great debate as well. Um, and I can understand from both of your points of view. Like, listen, you're in a cup final. You want to try and win it. I agree with it. There's a priority there. To lift the trophy would be a great thing. Um, but European competition is something completely different. I think you have to look at the, the, the platforms here, what uh, being in European Cup final would do for Manchester United as a club, what it would do for Ten Hag if you got them to a Cup final, let alone win a European Cup final would be sensational as well. So let's uh, quickly move on to Barcelona real quickly because there has been a bit of a scandal going on here. Mike, I'm going to actually yeah. jump in with you real quickly on this one here because... There's a bit of a refereeing scandal. Um, obviously, it's about deposits being made into a certain bank account. Club had paid 1.4 million euros 2015 and 18 to a company of Jose Maria Enriquez Niguerra, vice president of the Spanish Federation Referee Committee. Um, real, real interesting story here. I mean, there's obviously talk about this um, being a big problem for Barcelona, um, and they can't seem to escape problems right now. But when you see payments <laughs> being made into an account that is associated with an official, this is not a good sign. No, there's a word for that. Match fixing. And there's points and things that should, that should. And if it's not done, I'm done 
talking La Liga. I'm done talking La Liga interest, but this this will be absolute bullcrap. I don't think anything will come of it. I think La Liga will sweep it under the table, but this is very, very scandalous. Probably the most scandalous thing Barcelona have done to date. Mike and Nigel? Ian, you're a smart man. Michael is questionable at times because of the football <laughs> decisions he makes, but we all know how this world works. This is the problem when football clubs become too corporate and too worried about world dominance, financial gaining. That's the reality of it. These are what these clubs do. They will try and win by any means. So I'm not surprised. We've seen scandals with Juventus. We're seeing an investigation with Manchester City right now. They'll break all loopholes everywhere they can. I'm not surprised. That's just the reality of the world we live in. It's all about corporate greed. And it doesn't look good for Barcelona. It doesn't look good for football in general. But again, it's all these big clubs who were wanted to be part of this Super League generally. They're being caught out doing all these scandalous things. And it's just embarrassing. Yeah. Okay. Let's get a prediction uh, result. We think we know which way Mike's gone with this one here for Manchester United <laughs> against uh, Barcelona in Barcelona. Mike, yeah. you go first. Even though you're going to annoy us, go. Uh, I'm going one 0 Barcelona. Lewandowski. Barcelona you think result. Lewandowski? Um, I'm going to go with one of the, the young boys. I think uh, Gavi gets the the, the winning goal. I'm back in my British man, Marcus Rashford, for a 2-1 Manchester United win because Mike has the curse of Drake. So 2-1 Barcelona, uh, Man United win. I don't think, I, I tried to do my research ahead of the show here, and um, I don't think Lewandowski's ever played against Manchester United. I couldn't find it anywhere. I searched it, I searched statistics, I searched everywhere, but I couldn't find Lewandowski playing against Manchester yeah. United anywhere. So no, um, if anybody can correct me no. out there, please do so, um, because as far as I'm concerned, did this he, will be the first time Lewandowski's played against them. Did he miss? I'm trying to think back to the one where they, Patrice Evers scored the first goal under David, was it under Moyes? Was he in that match? They went to Bayern. And they got absolutely peppered across two legs. Not sure. Not sure. I'll have, have to go back and look, look it up. up. Yeah, I, yeah. I did look it up to see if I could find it, but I couldn't find it anywhere. All right. Before we get out of here, there is another um, idiot we need to talk about here. <laughs> I mean, defender we need to talk about here. Sergio Ramos. Um, this video uh, I shared to our personal group here. I want everybody else to see this one as well. Um, Sergio Ramos was, um, after the game, obviously applauding the fans. And uh, unfortunately, what happened was, I think Lionel Messi was sort of backing up into you know the fans and applauding the fans and Sergio Ramos for everybody out there go find it on social media it's pretty much everywhere um basically the cameramen were trampling all over Sergio Ramos so Ramos just shoved one of the cameramen had an argument with another cameraman Mike not a good look for PSG especially after that game and not a good look for Sergio Ramos no, it's next level shithousery from Ramos. What he couldn't do in 90 minutes on the field against Bayern, he decided to take out over a cameraman. I think it's a bit classless to do that. The cameraman, he's doing his job. You don't need to do that. Take care of business on the field so you don't get in pushing spats with the cameraman off the field. And Nigel, you've certainly been in that position before where you've got some players who just react like that and it's not a no, good thing. No, listen, what I like to say to people, I'll give you the real. 90% of footballers are absolute assholes. Don't be fooled by how they are and how they're portrayed. <laughs> Ian is laughing because he knows it's true and so is Michael. 90% of footballers are assholes. I don't put these people on pedestals. They're human beings just like us. One thing I always was when I played football was be very humble and remember the human element and where I came from. There's no need to react like that. No need whatsoever. But again, it's when some of these players get to a certain level, they drink their own Kool-Aid yeah, forget that they're human because do that in the street and he'll be knocked out. Like mm. some people don't care if you're Sergio Ramos, you're getting your ass beat. So for me, yeah. 
don't lose that human element. But this is again, I don't drink that Kool-Aid of believing all these footballers are superstars. I look at the small things, how they live their life outside of football, things that they say and what they do. Because ninety percent of them are assholes. The reason why I laughed is because it's more like 95%. Nigel, yeah, let's be realistic here. I think it's generous. <laughs> Everybody out there, we are hitting the 50-minute mark here on the House of Champions. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, just a reminder, we will be back again tomorrow about 3 p.m. Eastern after the Barcelona-Manchester United game, um, which apparently is going to be a Barcelona victory, according to Michael LaHood, the Manchester United fan. Um, so make sure you tune in with us live then as well. Uh, we're excited to be back with you all. We're excited European football is back. In case you couldn't tell, we cannot shut up. We love all the stories around it. So please continue to you know jump in with us as well as much as you possibly can please let us know uh, what you think about the show how we can improve the show what you don't like about the show let us know and uh, we'll always do our best to try and make this show for you because house of champions is your show and we appreciate every single one of you along there so thanks for watching thanks for listening to house of champions please take a minute to leave us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform we're also available on apple podcast spotify stitcher and arrows you listen to your podcast and also in video so subscribe to us on youtube nigel real coker michael hood house of champions signing out i'm enjoy we'll see you tomorrow 3 p.m after united party You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.